Uh, Tyler, do you know which one of us is which based on our voices? Uh, I do not honestly know. <laughs> you want to try to guess? <laughs> I am going to say that the one that just asked me to guess is Brad. God, he's good. One for one. How does he know? <laughs> I am going to say that one for one is John. Oh my god. This kid's a he's listened to the show. I actually have not listened to the show. I've, oh, thanks uh, for yeah. being so Bullshit. supportive. Cheater. <laughs> I actually saw uh, Brian do a Facebook Live thing once, so it was kind of a process of elimination there. Oh. Ooh. He's a smart one. We got us a smart one. <laughs> Fourth and Short Podcast. This is Brian, joined by John and Brad. How you guys doing tonight? Great. Lovely. As you, per usual. You're just gonna you're just gonna only introduce the two of us, I guess. I was, I was I was getting to our guests. So uh, we have Tyler, who is a contributor on the CSR website as well as the Bleeding Green Nation website for the Philadelphia Eagles. So Tyler, how you doing tonight? I'm doing well. It's uh, it's going to be a fun week. I I really do feel like it is. We Aren't certainly you... hope so. For us. <laughs> yep. So so you're going to start with your Panthers hat on, right? Talking about the Lions game, and then we get to the Eagles game to put your Eagles hat on. Is this how this going to work, Tyler? <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, I uh, after the Super Bowl loss to the Broncos a couple years ago. Those uh those Super Bowl jerseys went on sale, so I bought a Cam Newton and a Josh Norman one because I do like to collect jerseys. So I got those for about ten dollars a piece. So we'll start with those on. <laughs> okay, so that makes sense. All right, so the Panthers just won their second game in a row against the uh, Detroit Lions, twenty-seven twenty-four. Almost blew that lead, like. Uh, the Falcons may have, but the Panthers didn't, so. Sorry. What do you, yeah, I was. Have okay. you trained your dog to, like, go ape shit when we make 28 to 3 jokes or something? <laughs> yes, I did. She, has, <laughs> she vocalizes my thoughts when you guys make 28 to 3 jokes. Oh, so, that's shame. <laughs> so I'll start with Brad, since I know, he, I know he gets salty if I don't start with him first. Uh, so, Brad, what did. Give me some of your takeaways from that game. What do you think of the uh, Panthers' offense and defense after that? I thought we looked pretty good. Uh, I, I think it's comforting to know that, that Cam looks like he's back into his his 2015 self. You know, his, um, his completion percentage, you know, we have to make sure we accentuate that, uh, has, has never looked better. Um, and even, you know, sources that that normally hate on Cam, um, you know, I'm not going to call on any names like, um, you know, Scott Caxmar. Um, you know, even they're starting to give Cam some credit for, for what he's done over the last two weeks. And I 
I think it's it's good to, that he's returning to what we're used to and, and not the, the the you know the first couple of weeks of the year where he didn't look so great. I think I'm I'm nothing but optimistic out of the Lions game just because I know that it looked bad about the the fourth quarter and stuff. But that's what the Lions last two weeks. That's what the Lions and Patriots do. The Lions and their their fourth quarter teams. The Lions did some insane one like what like six games last year where they're trailing in the fourth quarter. I'm not really concerned about that. Uh, we pretty much dominated the whole game until the last two drives, and it didn't even matter. We won. I'm happy. A win's a win, indeed. Yeah, they all count the same in the standings. Uh, Tyler, I know you. I know you were probably watching that game, or if you weren't, uh, give us some of your insight on that game. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. What Brad mentioned is that Cam looks like he's back to that MVP form, and he's. You know, a lot of people, Jim Schwartz actually mentioned this in his press conference this past week, the Eagles defensive coordinator. He talked about how a lot of, Cam, a lot of people view Cam as kind of like a uh, more of a mobile quarterback and a scrambler, but it's not exactly true. He's one of the better pocket quarterbacks in the league, and he only really takes off when he's forced to. It's not like he relies on his legs, but just from a passing standpoint, he was fantastic. There was a play early in the game that Devin Funches catch where the left guard was getting put in his lap and he just fired down the field accurately outside the numbers, hits Funches. And then even on the Kelvin Benjamin touchdown, just to drop it in the bucket like that, I think it was about 40 yards downfield is what ended up traveling. The degree of difficulty to make that throw and put that placement right there, I think he's just looked fantastic. The offensive line still looks concerning, though, because even though they were able to get some things going, there were a lot of penalties on them early in the game, so I think they're still struggling. Oh, man, those penalties were... It was like they came into the game, we committed like that first penalty, like, oh, well, the Panthers are one of the least penalized teams in the NFL, da, 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 da. and it's just like every other play, we did something wrong, offensively and defensively. And it's just like, where did all this come from? It's, there was a lot of bias in those flags, too, though. There were several plays where our, our defensive linemen, especially Mario Addison, were held, and, you know, no flags were thrown. But, you know, the Panthers do one small little thing, and, you know, five flags are on the field all of a sudden. You know, I, I'm I'm honestly surprised they didn't take the touchdown to Christian McCaffrey back because of the – uh, ineligible player downfield, you know, he, we got away with that one, uh, <laughs> but it, it was just odd to see so many flags, um, for the Panthers. Cause like you said, we were, we're still the least penalized team, but it's not as big of a gap anymore as it was. Well, it was, I guess it kind of evens out cause we were, I thought we were on the, the good side of the officials against New England. So it, it, I guess it evens out, but still. Might be the most frustrating thing to watch as a fan when you, when like the team makes a good stop and then it's like face mask, fifteen yard penalty, automatic first down, just ruin everything yeah. you did. I mean, it came back to bikes at the end too because everybody's talking about how we are not everybody, but I'm not gonna generalize. A lot of people complaining that we clammed up in the fourth quarter like we normally do, but I think it was the the second three and out. Yeah, Cam completed a. a pass on first down, four first down to Funches, and he got called back for a soft passing appearance. So, I don't think... Yeah, I agree. I've learned that it doesn't matter what we do. Like, we could blitz on every down. We did that. (laughs) Yeah, and we still play prevent defense in the fourth quarter. Like, it doesn't matter what we do. Yeah, it's... Uh, You know, everybody's gonna... Well, I can't say everybody either, but most people 
are going to say, well, they're playing prevent defense or mm-hmm. they're, they're just running the ball up the middle. No, that's not what we do. Um, there were a couple of year. things here and yeah, at least not this year, at least not last week. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there were a couple of things here and there that, that kept us from putting the game away. And I, I think, you know, we can shore those up and we might be able to, to get away from the hold on to your butts in the fourth quarter that we've seen, mm-hmm. you know, over the past couple of weeks. Well, one thing people are downplaying, too, is the fact that Matthew Stafford is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL at fourth-quarter comebacks, too. Like, yeah, Carolina was pretty aggressive with some of their play calls in the fourth quarter, on defense anyway. On offense, they were pretty conservative, which is totally on Ron Rivera. But on defense, they were definitely throwing the blitzes out there. But Stafford's a good quarterback. Like, there's, there's a reason why he is the highest-paid quarterback in the NFL right now. It's not because the Lions have no better players or anything like that. It's because he's a good quarterback. He's clutch. So, yeah. He's he really a warrior, can't. too. Like, he could barely walk in the fourth quarter, and he was still going out there. Exactly. And when a team is in, like, when a team is in, like, we need to make these completions now or there's no other chances type situations, they're going to make those throws. And Stafford is probably one of the top five quarterbacks I'd trust to make those throws. So, I agree, you know, the Panthers could have had some better play calling in certain situations, but this is Matthew Stafford we're talking about. This isn't, like, Mike Glennon or Mitch Trubisky or Sean Kaiser. You know, this is, like, this is a franchise quarterback who is getting paid like a franchise quarterback to make those plays. So, it's going to happen in the NFL. There's going to be teams that are going to come out there swinging when they're down, and they're going to drive back. And, obviously, it's concerning because... In 2015, Carolina almost let up several leads, and against the Patriots, they almost did two this year. But it's just hard for me to really drum them down too much because the defense is not designed to shut down the team altogether. It's not like it's the Panthers don't have Seattle's defense. It's not like top to bottom, top five, top ten players all over the place. You know, like Stafford's going to find those weaknesses. He's a good quarterback. It's also just hard in general on your defense when they're going in the hurry up all the time. You can't rotate players. You can't change up coverages and calls and stuff. You just kind of have to go out there and, and wing it. So exactly. it's, it's, I, uh, obviously there are problems with execution and we've had plenty of problems with play calling in the past late in games. I thought yes, or Sunday's game was not an example of bad play calling. What about you, Tyler? You agree? Yeah, I, I really thought it was a, uh, a well-called game as far as the offense goes. As far as the fourth quarter comeback goes, you're going to see things like that whenever uh, you know whenever you're up 17, you're going to let off the gas some, and you're going to try and run the ball, try to eat some clock, and keep the ball out of a guy like Stafford's hands with what he's done in the fourth quarter. So ultimately, I can't blame them too much. They were able to hold the lead. I think it's funny because I saw a uh, there's a Mike Shula fake account out there that tweeted out a meme, and it has Luke Keekley. It says that's a nice fourth quarter lead you had. It'd be a shame if somebody played prevent defense and at the end has a picture of Ron Rivera. I think um, I think CP actually tweeted that out or retweeted it. So it's uh, I thought ultimately that Shula actually did a really good game uh, as far as play calling goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, I think uh, this time at least we can we can chalk it up to execution. I, th- I didn't think stuff changed too much going towards the end. Yeah, I didn't think so either. Especially. Especially because, like, as predictable as it is, and as much as I hate watching us run on first down 89% of the time, you there's no excuse to be getting knocked in the backfield three yards deep every single play on a handoff. 
I get if the defense can key in on it if they know it's coming, but they should be blowing through the line like they did on Sunday. So I do have one counter argument to the whole like Carolina rushed for only like twenty something yards. Ed Dixon received for over 150 yards as a tight end, and this is a mediocre ass tight end <laughs> that we're talking about here. Um, super ass tight end. <laughs> no, no, mediocre. I'm not saying super. I'm saying mediocre ass Me- tight end. Yeah, okay. That specifically mediocre in that. So. From what I gathered from what I saw of just the film review and whatnot, the Lions were trying their hardest to stop the run. And when a team sells out to stop the run, somebody is going to get open in the play-action passing game. And apparently it was Ed Dixon, who is not a 150-yard receiving tight end by any means. Not even for a season. (laughs) Exactly. So... There was a lot of people who were questioning, like, running the ball and trying to continue doing it despite the fact that it wasn't working. But you look at the play-action passing game and the passing game down the field with guys like Ed Dixon and Devin Punches, it's like, you know, if you look at the rushing game in a vacuum, yeah, that wasn't a great performance. But in the passing game, if Ed Dixon's catching 150 yards passing, like, Something's going right for you, you know? It's I think that Detroit, based on what I've seen, Detroit really sold out on stopping the run and making Cam Newton win the game with his arm, and obviously he did. Um, so I don't know what you guys think of that, but that I, was what I gathered from it. I love that in 2017, Cam Newton's was his seventh year in the league, that there are still teams that say, we're going to stop the run and make Cam Newton beat us with his arm. As if that's like, yeah. like that. Like, is that the, the scouting report on him? I mean, he is still getting his strength back from his injured shoulder. I mean, granted, we've seen over the last two weeks, it's for the most part back. But yeah, I would have thought yeah. that would have that that plan might have been at least kind of dialed back after the New England game. So all right, maybe maybe the whole selling out that looked like the game plan that like the Cardinals tried to run on us on Camden's first career game, where he was just picking them apart because they were just like putting eight guys in the box all game. And, and it's just like they, they dug right. up their 2011 scouting report and were like, all right, this is what we're, we're going with. I mean, I hope they keep doing it, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm fine with that. As long as we don't just try to run into the teeth of them all the time. We keep, if we keep throwing bombs to Ed Dixon or any other of our bevy of mediocre-ass uh, targets. <laughs> so, Tyler, I know you're you're more of a film guy than the rest of us. So, what do you what do you think of the points that we just brought up as far as that goes? Yeah, absolutely. Like they they definitely were selling out to stop the run, and it, it's a bit concerning whenever your offensive line is getting blown up, especially on those pulling and those uh, those pin and pull plays. That's where they were really getting back there, and they were knocking Stewart out. And there were a few times where if he had been able to just force a missed tackle, there there were some openings, but he couldn't. And they were able to get him dead to rights there. But they utilized the game plan well, and they had some trickery. You talked about Ed Dixon. He had 175 yards receiving, which is very interesting to me. I can't honestly remember off the top of my head the last time a tight end had that sort of receiving yard game. Like I, I don't remember Gronk having anything like that, or maybe it was Jimmy Graham back when he was with the Saints. But that's a that's a bit of an interesting statistic. But yeah, they, you know, you got to take what the defense gives you, and they, like you said, Mike Shula called a good game. Uh, that was a good job of adjusting when they were trying to stack the box and. Forcing them to uh, force them to pay for that. 
Agreed. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be a lot of teams that Carolina is still, no matter how far, no matter how much they talked about being a different offense and an evolved offense, it's still going to be the same kind of game. And we've seen that that's what's going to be successful is down the field passing with Cam Newton, running the ball, power rushing game, and uh, getting Cam involved in the rushing game. Like, that's... We saw it in the last two games where Carolina went back to their bread and butter, and clearly it worked out. Obviously, getting guys like Christian McCaffrey involved where they can be decoys or receiving backs gives the Panthers more options in offense, but that's where they excel, is letting Cam Newton throw the ball downfield and uh, the power rushing attack. So... It's pretty clear that's what they're going to stick with. Tyler, to answer your question about the last time a tight end had that kind of receiving game, it would have been October 10th, almost a year to the day, 2016. Uh, and that was... Uh, who, who was it? It was Greg Olson. Ah, really? Yeah, it was wow. in, the, in the Tampa Bay game, the Monday night game, when Derek Anderson threw it exclusively to uh, Greg Olson 13 times. And then, Was that the same game that we lost because Graham Gano couldn't make a field goal? Uh, that would have been many games. Was that the other that, Bucks no, 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 game? That was, yeah, I, that was the reverse of Aguayo, Aguayo game winner. Uh, Derek Anderson, okay. inexplicable like fumble trying to scramble, bad throw in the end zone, all that. Yeah, Derek okay. Anderson, yeah that was the only the, field goal Aguayo ever made. Yeah, and that was the beginning of the demise of Derek Anderson. Um, it's been yeah. done. It's been done six times. Um, yeah, who was it before that? Vernon Davis and Jimmy Graham both did it in 2013. Dallas Clark did it in 2009. And Shannon Sharp did it in 2002. Ed Dixon fits in very well with with those names on that list. Yeah, he definitely definitely belongs with that group of great tight ends in NFL history. Yeah, and the record for yardage is uh, 214. That was Shannon Sharp on 12 catches. That's a lot of yards. Well, Shannon Sharp was more of a big wide receiver than he was a tight end. So, you're saying that Ed Dixon's not that? I'm <laughs> saying Ed Dixon is the greatest tight end who's ever put on shoes. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> we're not going to talk about those tight ends back the in the day field. that wore shoes, but yes, he's got. He's the first guy on the field, last guy off. Um, one of the coaches' guys, you know. No, uh, that's Christian McCaffrey. <laughs> Well, maybe he makes Greg Olson expendable now. Whoa, whoa, whoa now. You're just because you're the guest. Don't mean you can say shit like that, buddy. Contract the man's I mean, what? He's cheaper than Greg Olson. I'll give him that. that Olson's not going to hit those. Um, those what are they? Uh, I guess those boosters in his contract where he's not going to play enough games. Mm-mm. It's expendable. a long con by the uh, training staff. The. Uh... You know. Yeah, you see, we didn't actually see him break his foot on the field. We didn't hear about this until after he had went back into the locker room. <laughs> so Greg is totally fine. They're like, oh, Greg, your foot's broken. It's like, it doesn't even hurt. No, Greg, it's broken. you got to stop walking now. It's broken. But I swear, it, didn't, it feels <laughs> totally fine. Nope, Greg broke it. Put the boot on right now. Greg, Greg, <laughs> Greg, just get off the field. Don't question it. <clears throat> That's, yeah, oh, man. Pretty much. But real talk, you know, with Ed Dixon, I really would like to see them incorporate him into the offense more with Greg Olson on the field and run some two tight end sets instead of bringing Ed Dixon in just to be the H-back. You know, it it would be nice because when we had Jeremy Shockey a couple of years ago, uh, we had one of our best. A couple years ago. (laughs) It was a couple of years ago. (laughs) So it was in 2014. All right. 
Yeah, yeah. it was. What Something was like it? That. Was it was it Cam's rookie year? Yes. Yeah, a couple Seriously? years ago. I think Cam it was, was twenty four. It was Cam's rookie year. Dude, it was, yeah, uh, that was a couple of years ago to me. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, we were pretty successful doing that. So, I mean, I, I think it would be worth a shot to see what we could what, what we could have with with Ed Dixon and Greg Olson running that that same type of offense. But there's a problem there because uh, Jeremy Shockey is a uh, he's a coach on the field and off the field. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's got he's he's deceptively fast and uh, real hard work. That's not a word I would have used to describe Jamie Shockey back in the day. No, none of those <laughs> words are words I was used to describe Jamie. <laughs> no, that was that was. Uh... Just so you know, Tyler, any guy who plays in the NFL who's white, this is whoa, the whoa, immediate. Whoa, you can't say that word. Whoa! <laughs> hey, hey, hey! It's 2017 here, Brian. Any guy who's not African American, <laughs> so much better. This is such a better thing. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, the entire Patriots receiving corps. Exactly. Yeah. They're all coaches on and off the field. Great job. I think that was the the, the, the big the big deal when they brought up Brandon Cooks. It's like is Brandon is Tom Brady even going to see him? Like is he is, <laughs> is he going to trust him to throw to him? <laughs> um. <yeah. laughs> <laughs> um, I think we should move on to the Eagles. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, we should definitely do that. Um, the one last thing I want to bring up before we move on to the Eagles is the Lions running backs, specifically making the Panthers linebackers look stupid. Oh, yeah, I um, do want to talk about that, too. Yeah, we probably should talk about that. So, Luke Keekley had a one-on-one opportunity against, was it Theo Riddick or was it... Yeah, it was Theo, it was Theo Riddick. And Theo Riddick made him look and Well, you can't say that word either. We can't say that word. <laughs> Jesus. He made him look very mentally unstable. Um, and it was a little concerning, but at the same time, it seemed like the Lions were scheming to put the Panthers linebackers on an island against this, those shifty running backs they have in Detroit. Um, I don't know. It, like, the Panthers linebackers are obviously very good at making tackles, but it always seems like they struggle against guys like uh, Darren Sproles or, like, Reggie Bush in the past or um, Amir Abdullah or... Theoretic, you know, it seems like they struggle against the speed, the speed rushers, the guys who can really be shifty. Um, Tyler, I don't know what you saw in the film review, so if you'd like to elaborate on that a little bit, with uh, but it seemed like Luke Keekley really struggled this week. Yeah, I, I really didn't get to study uh, it in depth, but from what I know, I, I've seen Theo Riddick a lot as he's played the Eagles. And in 2013, I don't know if you guys remember that big snowstorm game between the Lions and the Eagles. Oh, yeah, it, I was stuck in Philly because of that. Yep, I remember. Yeah, they uh, the Lions went for two-point conversions all the time, and on fourth down, like, you, you had to go for it because you couldn't punt the bar, ball far. So what they do is they just, you know, send it out in the flat and give the ball, throw the ball out there to him, and it worked effectively. And last year when they went up to Detroit and played them, it was the same thing. They put Michael Kendricks, who's probably one of the fastest linebackers in the league, they put him on him, and he just still made him look silly. So it, it's not really an indictment on Luke or any of those guys like that. It's just kind of how quick and shifty those sort of backs are. They're, they're really kind of a mismatch, and 
they're hard they're hard to keep up with. I, you'll see some teams that'll bring safeties down to the box and you know they'll try and play them in, in the big nickel packages and try and contain them that way. But they're really sort of a mismatch for linebackers, especially in like a man coverage sort of scheme. Yeah, and that's the way the Lions are built as a whole. Like their whole team is built for those little short passes in space and make people miss. Like Riddick and Abdullah and Tate is especially good at that. That was kind of what we talked about going into the game. So it's not like we did, it, I felt like it wasn't even a surprise. Like we kind of talked about going into the game, these guys are really hard to tackle in the short areas of the field, and they were hard to tackle in the short areas of the field. Yeah, one thing about it to me, and it's it's not really an uh, like um, was said earlier, it's not really an indictment on on Keekly. Um, it's just that we're not used to seeing quote unquote normal linebacker play. Mm-hmm. from Luke Keekley and and theoretic made him look like your average NFL linebacker. We're mm-hmm. used to seeing Luke Keekley make those plays regardless and I think that's one of the things that's caused Panthers fans to overreact because you know not that Panthers fans ever overreact to anything ever but um I, I think that's the the source of it. He he didn't look bad, he just looked average and for a guy like Luke Keekley, average is most guys terrible. So, you know, there's really nothing we can do. Yeah, that's that was. Yeah, I think CP said that in our in our chat. It was just like, this is basically what most teams see on a week to week basis from their linebacking core. We've just gotten so spoiled by yeah. how good Luke Keekley is that when he looks like an average linebacker in space, we think it's like, is it time to call it quits? Is it time to cut him? Is he bad now? So. I think it's an aberration. I feel, I feel confident in saying that. We met. <laughs> Plus, you know, I know we use this buzzword a lot, you know, as a joke, but Theo Riddick actually is, quote-unquote, sneaky fast. Like, he doesn't look like he would be quick, oh, yeah, yeah. but he is. No, he's, he's you know, and tough. Yeah, he's a very good receiver out of the backfield. So, I mean, I, I'm not mad. And then next this week, though, I feel like it's it's we have Garrett Blunt as the main back that we're facing in that – is a much better matchup for how this defense plays. Oh yeah, we're we're so we're lucky that Darren Sproles is hurt. Like, Actually, we're lucky that Wendell Smallwood is hurt as well. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, Speaking of Smallwood, is he going to play, Tyler? I I don't think he is. I know they have him as a game time decision, but I I really wouldn't expect him to play. Do you not like him by Go that ahead. reaction? He, no. I think Wendell Smallwood's a good receiver, but he's the type of halfback. He gets the ball, and uh, he just runs straight, whether there's a defensive <laughs> tackle there or not. Like, like he, he just tries to headbutt him. I don't know what it is, but that's it, exactly what he tries to do. He doesn't have very good vision at all. He, like I said, he can receive. He's a good receiver, but he, he's not a lead back. And really, it's just not the kind of guy that you want toting out there consistently. Basically, he just gets exactly what's blocked for him. Like if a, yeah, if, a hole, exactly. if a hole opens up right where it's supposed to, he'll hit it. He'll hit it well. But if it if anything is a miss, he'll just run into the back of somebody until he falls over. Yeah, and even sometimes he'll flow with his offensive line when there's a backside hole there, like just ready to be taken. It's like running through this hole. It's like no, the play is designed to go this way, so I'll just take that. <laughs> yeah, you cannot deviate from the design. So are we ready? To, are we just going to transition completely into the Eagles game now? Anything else on the line? I don't think we have anything else to cover. I mean, I mean, we, I think yeah. we pretty much got it all. Yeah, it's Panthers one. Panthers one. Yeah. Not as we don't have a long, well laundry list of things to complain about. It's like, yeah, that's another, it's a good old game. Time to move on. 
All right, so as your host, I'm going to transition to the, uh, the Eagles game. Um, so obviously tomorrow night, the Panthers are going to play the Eagles in Charlotte. And It'll be tonight, tonight, tonight for those Brian. listening to the show. The game is tonight. Guys, it, it's the game is tonight at like 8.30. Don't, don't tune in tomorrow so night or else as you're going to miss recording, it. The, as of this recording, the game will be tomorrow. When you listen to this, it'll be tonight. That's how I'm going to clarify that. <laughs> Well, you should get it right if you're going to be the host. People, you should, you should get it right. people that are listening to this don't care what time it is in relation to us recording. Well, guess mm-hmm. what? It's game time, baby. Only time I know. All right. So tonight's game against the Panthers Eagles. and Eagles. Oh Jesus Christ! Um, <laughs> so Panthers and Eagles, four and one. Uh, big game for the top of the NFC coming up. The Eagles have demonstrated a very, a very solid defensive, uh, defensive effort throughout the, the entire course of the season, and Carson Wentz has really stepped up as far as being a quarterback goes. So, uh, Tyler, why don't you elaborate on what the Eagles have done so far to really step up from last year? Yeah, well, a lot of it has to do with health and really what they've added in the field positions. Going into last year, obviously, the Eagles started off 3-0, and things kind of fell apart after that. They they were plagued by what was arguably a bottom three skill uh, positions in the league. They had Jordan Matthews, they had Nelson Aguilar, and none of those players could really catch anything, and Doriel Green-Beckham, who they cut this offseason. Those were their top three receivers. Zach Ertz was hurt, and this was actually the third straight year last year coming in that Zach Ertz had started the season with a different quarterback. It had been Nick Foles, Sam Bradford, and Mark Sanchez at different times. So it's just the second year that he's actually had the same starting quarterback, and it's really clicked for the Eagles. And they're starting to hit on offense. The progression of Carson Wentz has been huge as well. We're seeing a lot of different things at the line of scrimmage from him. Like, um, for example, in that Lions game, Matt Stafford, he the, the Panthers were showing blitz a lot, you know, you would see Thompson come off the edge. There was one time they actually sent him. They'd bring some linebackers up in the gaps. And what Wentz would do over the last couple of weeks is he's seen that. He's been adjusting the calls at the line of scrimmage and audibling. And it's been really successful for the Eagles. They've really capitalized on that and hit some big plays. So this is a quarterback overall. He's been growing with uh, with the skill players. They've really opened up the deep passing game as well with Torrey Smith. They really didn't start hitting on those deep plays until last week. But when they did, they were able to score at will. It was very similar to the days whenever they had uh, Jeremy Macklin and Deshaun Jackson back there. They could just score at any point in the time. They, you know, they had the big play at their disposal. But you know, on the defensive side of the ball, they've just gotten even better. They brought in Tim Jernigan, who was a, honestly played like an all-pro this year as well. And that's not allowing teams to double-team some of the other players. Last year, we saw Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham, who were both all pros. They were getting double-teamed, and the other players just couldn't win their one-on-ones, whether that be Connor Barwin, who's better suited as a 3-4 outside linebacker, or Benny Logan. Those guys just weren't winning. This year, if they double-team either Jernigan or Cox, and they're getting beat off the snap, and they're just submitting pressure automatically. So defensively, they've really gotten a lot better as well. So just the progression of all their players. So that's I, I was looking at Carson Wentz's passing charts, and it's like a, a scatter of throws within ten yards of, of the line of scrimmage, and then there's a lot of nothingness, and then it's just like a, a small, just just where he just heaves it as far as he can, like four times a game. 
and just hopes his end receivers make play. So, is Carson Wentz good? Yeah, absolutely. I believe he's good. Deep ball is really shaky still. I'm not exactly <laughs> sure what's going on with that, but that's like what I said. You know, the first couple of weeks they weren't hitting on things, and even if Carson Wentz was delivering the ball on time, Torrey Smith was just dropping it. But they've worked really well within the intermediate range. And Doug Peterson's offense, it, disciple of Andy Reid and Brad, I know you're you're very familiar with that as well. But <laughs> Big it, Andy Reid fan over it, here. Yeah, it's an offense that kind of trades explosiveness for more consistency. So it works within the short passing game a lot. But this year, they've really expanded the playbook and opened it up to intermediate levels of the field. And it, they're, like I said, they're, he's, just, he's recognizing defenses and, and really his ball trajectory. One thing that was bad with him last year was his footwork. He, That's what he I was going to bring up. Yeah, he'd constantly get his feet stuck in the mud, and I've actually been doing the Wentz Report. It's an in-depth film breakdown each week on him where I go through all of his traits and various different throws and where he could have been better at. His, his footwork is day and night. It's so much better this year. It's ridiculous. It doesn't even look like the same player that he was last year. Now, granted, he hasn't faced a lot of pressure with what the offensive line has given him. They, they've been excellent this year against players like Joey Bosa, Melvin Ingram, Chandler Jones, and so on, but... He just looks so much better mechanically. He's not sacrificing his mechanics under pressure. He just looks like a different quarterback as opposed to what he was late last year. Yeah, because I remember like watching Wentz little bits and pieces last year, and he would like take a snap, and they would have a quick slant play. And he would take a snap, and he would turn his shoulders to where he was going to throw it, and he would just stare at the receiver for like the whole duration of the route, what with his feet locked into the ground, and they would just stay there. And then... In, the little bit I've seen of him this year, I've seen a little bit of it, like that one play where he made all the guys miss on the Redskins in the backfield and then hit Aguilar like 50 yards down the field. He kind of he had his feet stuck until he got bumped, and it was kind of like the bump freedom, and then he just slid off a bunch of potential sacks and got and broke the play down and got Aguilar open. Yeah, early in the season, like I'd say that Redskins game, even though they won it in D.C., that was probably his worst game of the year. I had him down for, uh, I think, three or four interceptable throws. Mm-hmm. So, again, the accuracy wasn't too great, but he just gotten worlds better at moving through his progressions. And that's a point that you brought up is last year he would lock on to that first target. This year he's moving defenders with his eyes, moving them with his head, you know, manipulating zones very well. Like, there was a uh, – the touchdown they had this past year – I mean, this past week, Torrey Smith, I think it was like 70 yards or something like that. He actually saw what the, uh, what the Cardinals were doing pre-snap. They had both their safeties up near the box. So that shows you that you can attack deep because their safeties – the safeties aren't at depth. So what he does is he audibles into a mesh play with two underneath receivers on different sides of the field. They're both running crossing routes, so they're going to cross across each other. So Wentz is reading the safeties there, and if they don't drop deep, then he's going to go to the last progression within that read, and that read, and that progression is the deep post route to Torrey Smith. He hit it, and it ended up being a long touchdown. So he's seeing these things and the footwork, and everything's going well. But like you said, that it was just terrible last year <laughs> with his mechanics. He would just lock on his body, like wouldn't move. It was like he was in quicksand and just kept sinking. But it's gotten a lot better yeah. this year. I was almost I was almost surprised that he didn't throw more interceptions last year because it was like. You can see where his eyes go on the first, uh, like as soon as he snapped the ball, and you can just run the whole defense over there and then just and be ready to intercept it. But I'm trying to see. There's one other play I think where he did that a little bit, but I'm I haven't seen the whole thing. So I'm sure. I'm, obviously, I'm sure he has he has moments where he regresses. But so you say as a whole, he's been much better at everything. 
Yeah, absolutely. And now, again, part of that as well is the fact that the offensive lines played really well. They, they completely shut down the pass-rushing duo of Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram. So it, it's easier to keep your mechanics clean mm-hmm. when you're not facing as much pressure. But even then, he's still doing a really good job of manipulating the pocket. Yeah, we've seen that it, One thing. Yeah, yeah. One thing that he did last year was, you know, if the pocket would collapse, he would just take off automatically. This year, he's doing a better job of sliding and maneuvering. And what that does is that neutralizes the pass rush. Tony Romo and Aaron Rodgers are quarterbacks that were really good at this. They could use their footwork and maneuver in the pocket that it would ne- completely like neutralize rushes. And it not only does it, you know, help out your offensive line, but it just helps out the schematics of the entire offense. So. He's doing a better job at that. Now, he's not quite Brady-esque or anything at that, it, but seeing the progressions is what matters. Yeah, so that's, 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 I'm interested to see because uh, who's the best defense the Eagles have faced so far? I would probably go with New York. Well, the New York or Kansas City, yeah. Oh, they, yeah, you they play Kansas City. Defenses. Yeah. Yeah, so it's... I would probably give it to Kansas City. Yeah, yeah I would say good. Kansas City, too. Yeah, they, they had some issues in that game. with uh, the, See, what, what they do is they start Jason Kelsey, who's a very undersized center. So I think Starla Tule and K.K. Shore are really going to have a kind of a field day with him if, they, if he has to go against them one-on-one. But they were also starting a left guard who is honestly probably better off at center because he's undersized as well. And Chris Jones just ate his lunch. They ended up benching him after that game, and he's been a healthy scratch ever since. And now they're doing this weird thing where they do a left guard by committee. But they've... Uh, Sounds like a horrible Steve, idea. It, it really is. <laughs> what it is is they... Uh, Stephen Wisniewski has been splitting snaps with Chance Warmack, but Wiz has been fantastic. He's he's played really well at that position. There's a lot of continuity. But they'll throw Chance Warmack in, and uh, a drive will just be terrible. Now, they're not throwing these guys in. They're not rotating them in, like, mid-drive. They'll start a drive with another guy, and he'll finish that drive up. But you can tell which drives, like, if it's Warmack or if it's Wisniewski. If it's typically a bad drive, it's Warmack. But Warmack comes in just so you're like, hey, guys, defense needs more reps. Uh, just put, put Chance in there and let him get some immediate penetration, and then we'll get back to defense back out there. Essentially, yeah, that's, that's exactly what it's like. <laughs> it just sounds like a bad idea, even if they were both good. Like, we've, it's been talked about all the time how, like, continuity is the most important thing on offensive line. And let's just voluntarily, voluntarily uh, forego that continuity and just, and just keep mixing it up so nobody knows what's going on. Yeah, I think one thing that does help with continuity, because I believe that, too. You talk to offensive linemen, they say that's why it's hard to – like, even if you have good offensive linemen or good backups, that's why it's hard to insert somebody if you lose them because they have to have a lot of trust on that unit and know that they're going to pick up a backside call or a gap or anything like that. So the one thing that helps is that they're, the Eagles went through a lot of different offensive line combinations last year when Lane Johnson was out, and they had some other players hurt. So Stephen Wisniewski actually played a lot last year. He was actually the starting center for the Raiders for a couple of years and went to Jacksonville, and he, he's a really good player. I, I I think there is some, I guess, politics involved in it is what we've heard a lot of to where the coaching staff doesn't necessarily like Wiz, but he's a really good player. And it's weird because he was a free agent after a one-year deal, and they resigned him to a two-year deal this offseason. But if he's in, they typically do better things, and I expect they'll play him more with Lane Johnson out on tomorrow. Why don't they like him? Um, he said something. I can't remember what it was last year. It was like the, the best players should be playing or something like that. Uh, I'll try and find the quote, the quote later. 
But there's something that he said that that I guess would kind of rub somebody the wrong way, and you could see why it would. Uh, so that that's really it. Gotcha. Brian, you got anything? You're just gonna let us just. All right. Oh. <laughs> I didn't want to keep making this just a one-on-one conversation. I was gonna let one of you guys. Sign yeah, in. I mean, I'm letting you guys go. Um, <laughs> So, I guess I'll go with, uh, some Panthers and Eagles have played each other over the last few years on, a specifically primetime football over the last, what, three, four years or so, and it's always been... Oh, yeah, been we do seem to always play on primetime. Pretty yeah. decent game, aside from 2014, when, uh, the Panthers went out and just shit the bet against Mark Sanchez and the Eagles. Um, well, for Tyler, that was probably a good game. <laughs> was... It was over by halftime, so <laughs> essentially <Yeah>. it was. <laughs> so... Looking at this game, I see, obviously, the I think the Eagles are going to have more of a power rushing attack simply because they don't have Wendell Smallwood and uh, Kenyon Barner is going to be their replacement there. Um, so I guess, Tyler, to give you a good question, what do you think is going to be the key on the offense for the Eagles and obviously the Panthers' defense? What's going to be the key to this game? Like, what's the matchup that needs to be won by either team to win this game? I, honestly, for the Panthers to win, uh, I guess to slow down the Eagles' offense, what they're going to have to do is because the Eagles are committed to running the ball, and Legarrette Blunt, regardless of how good a defense is, getting hit by a guy like that, it, it kind of wears you down. Vice versa, it could be the same for Blunt. So they're going to stick with that a little bit. They're going to work play action off of it. Now, the thing for me is that the, the Carolina's defense has to collapse the pocket on once. They have to get pressure early. Because if they don't, then he's going to carve them up because they work a lot of zone-beating concepts. They use the three-level stretch a lot. They they use this really well against the Giants. What it is, is essentially, they'll have uh, three receivers to one side of the formation, or they'll have two and they'll have a halfback. One of these receivers will go out into the flat. Another receiver will run a deep corner route. like It'll probably be like 20 yards down the field before he breaks off the stamp. And another receiver will go vertical. So what that does is it stresses underneath defender has to choose whether or not he wants to go with the corner route or he wants to come up on the little flat route. And then the vertical route's more of a decoy. Sometimes it'll get open, but very it, it's not very often that anybody hits it. So more often than not, it's that corner route that teams are targeting. And that, that's one that Doug Peterson likes to use a lot. He did it against the Giants. And another one is the dagger route, which the slot receiver will be running a, a straight vertical route, which clears out the... Uh, That'll clear out some, usually a linebacker across the middle of the field, and as they're trying to drop them off to the safety deep, the the outside receiver will run a deep dig. It'll probably be about 15 or 17 yards downfield, and usually they'll end up in a vacated zone because they're trying to pass off that slot receiver that's running the go route. So that they'll try to work those schemes. And, and the thing for Carolina that would concern me is their safeties. You know, they. Obviously, uh, you guys said you, you were without your best safety, which is Kurt Coleman. And in Philadelphia, we're very familiar with Kurt Coleman because he was terrible there. <laughs> really? <laughs> he, he was awful. Because like the Eagles went through like three or four years. Well, I'd probably be about five because they were without Dawkins for five between Malcolm Jenkins and Brian Dawkins. But they were just awful. It was just a rotation of Jai Con Jarrett, Nate Allen, Kurt Coleman. Saw all kinds of different guys at safety, and none of them were very good. So with that, I, I think that the secondary for Carolina has to hold up because the Eagles are going to take their shots and they're going to scheme their receivers open. And if, if Carolina allows those receivers to get open, Wentz is going to pick them apart. 
I think it's so funny that Kirk Coleman was awful for the Eagles because he's yeah. Been, he's well, been I was going to ask us. that question too. Yeah. Well, um, here's the thing: he was awful for the Eagles when their front seven wasn't great. Then he went to Kansas City, where he's backing up Eric Berry and I don't remember the other guy, but they were pretty good. A pretty good safety tandem, and he still managed to lead the team in interceptions. And then he came to Carolina, where he was the de facto starter, and now he's a great player. So. It's one of those situations where a player grows over time. He was a seventh-round pick, so it's not like he was drafted because he's going to be an immediate impact starter. So it just takes time. Yeah, it's just weird how that works. Um, I, I wrote a, a – co-authored an article with um, the lead writer over at Bleeding Green Nation, and one of the questions was how can the the um, the Eagles win the game? And, and one of my comments was on defense that – if Carson Wentz can expose the secondary because we're without Kurt Coleman, who's arguably our best player in the secondary. And the comment section is like, Kurt Coleman's your best player in your secondary. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> yeah, he is. I mean, he's actually a really good player. He's not the same guy that, that was in Philadelphia a couple of years ago. Yeah, that, that's kind of the hardest thing for Eagles fans to believe because he, he had a one really good game. It was against the Redskins. He had four interceptions in that game, and it, that was about it. There was actually a play, if you go look at it, it was the first game of the 20, 2012 season, I believe. It, it was Trent Richardson's first game. Trent Richardson just trucked him. You, you could probably find the clip online. And just type in Trent Richardson trucks Kurt Coleman. It's brutal. That, that was kind of like a, a summary of what his career with the Eagles was like. That's uh, was that like the beginning of the end for him, or was he just like was he bad before that? And that was just a good encapsulation. Keep your music playing. Yeah, he, that was just Even. a good encapsulation. Essentially, he just wasn't very good with the Eagles. So, as, for the record, you can Google that exact phrase: "Trent Richardson trucks Kurt Coleman," and you will get a video of it as the first result. <laughs> I think his helmet popped off. He got trucked. So yeah, the, the I am watching YouTube. it right now, so I will give a live play-by-play. Yes, he knocked his helmet <laughs> off, and it flew six yards down the field and rolled off of the the frame of the TV. Oh, was that the one when he when when Trent Richardson is ducked and hit just like straight crown yes. his helmet into the face mask? Is Kurt Coleman? Yes, I know that play. Now. Yeah. And it's funny because that off season they actually put that rule in about the running backs thing with the crown of the helmet, and they didn't have any like examples except for maybe one from Adrian Peterson. And then they got one, but and they never called the penalty there. I think they've, okay, ever, they've this, never called that penalty in the entire history of the NFL. I don't think. Yeah, the slow motion replay makes it not look as bad as it does live speed. He just hit the helmet at the right angle to knock it off of his head. Still a great play. It's probably the only good thing Trent Richardson ever did. <laughs> I do miss the Trent Richardson, the, the the shared photos of him with, like, these gaping holes, just, like, one or two. Like, not even, like, where it's like, oh, he can't see that. They're, like, That's one what gap. came to mind when we were talking about Wendell Smallwood. Where, where yeah, those clips. it's the same thing. Wendell Smallwood. And it's let's just, not forget about Donnell Pump. Does he play? Uh, is he not? Is he hurt? He got put on IR. Oh, yeah, he's, so. he's not very good. He's not. <laughs> His name is just my absolute favorite, Donnell Humphrey. If, if he wasn't, if he wasn't a fourth round pick, they would have cut him. Is that the guy from San Diego State yeah. that yeah. that broke the rushing record or something like that? He's like four feet tall and weighs like a buck fifty. He's super yeah. fast, something like that. Yep. 
Why is he bad? He just is he is he like is he just too small? Like he just gets tackled by like the presence of players near him. Well, you know, with a guy like that, that small, you would figure he'd be elusive. So he put on a little bit of weight, and he's not the least bit elusive. He goes down on first contact, and this was in preseason against everyone's third, fourth, the guys that are on the street right now, guys that are playing in the Canadian Football League, and he's getting tackled and brought down by them. So I guess he kind of came up with a phantom hamstring injury because there have been videos since that injury was announced with him running on the field in a practice that was supposed to be closed off to the media. Uh, so take what you wanted that. I think they just wanted to stock him up and didn't want to risk putting him in the practice practice squad because, you know, fourth-round pick, nobody wants to admit their loss, especially a couple months after you select it, but I they're going to have to come eventually unless he makes some sort of drastic improvement. Somebody actually put out a tweet that I thought was kind of funny. They, they said there are a lot of people that are richly employed that have bet against uh, somebody being the next Darren Sproles, and it's true because we haven't seen anybody like him. It's it's so funny how all it takes is one person to succeed at something, and then people just assume like the next quick, small, quick running back is the next Darren Sproles. Is is as if like all of a sudden that has happened once, it'll happen all the time now. Yeah, those outliers. Yeah, and then people just look for the next outlier. That's exactly like the only guy that's ever done it before. It's like uh, your late round quarterbacks. Like everyone's like, well, you can <laughs> find the quarterback in the sixth round. And, it's the greatest, and it's like, no, there have been, like, two off the top yeah. of my head I could think of. It's, like, Dak Prescott and Tom Brady. And then Tony yeah. Well, the Patriots drafted yeah, Tom Brady. Yeah, yeah. That's I hate that so much time in every sport where, like, people, like fans will be like, nah, like, our late-round drafting is bad. We picked this scrub in the sixth round, and there were, like, three good players after that. And then the next year we missed out on, like, five good players. Like, Okay, that's fine, but like no team picked any like multiple of those people. Like you're comparing one team's success against the aggregate success of the rest of the league, and I hate that so much. It's yeah, like it's I do too. Everybody, I'm sure everybody thinks our team sucks at drafting because they're like, we only drafted three Pro Bowlers. The rest of the league drafted 26 in the 2015 draft. Yeah, the other thing that gets me too is you know, like you said, we drafted a scrub in the sixth round. It's the sixth round. I mean, that's you're like flyers. Yeah, you're just taking flyers on guys that you may or may not be able to use. I mean, like, you know, like when we drafted Ken John Barner, and I guess we could segue this into a topic because he's on the Eagles now. But, um, you know, when we drafted him, we just needed a kick returner. Like, that's the only reason we took him, and he couldn't do it. He, you know, he fumbled too much, so we cut our bait, you know, cut our losses. But, you know, it. That's what you do. You just you take guys like, you know, like Ken John Barner and Harrison Butker and Greg Hardy and some of these other you know possible you know developmental or bust guys, and you just see what you can get. It's not like you're drafting your, you know, your franchise left tackle in the sixth round. I like yeah, I like the um when we have when we draft busts in the sixth and seventh round. Is, yeah. is that does that do you see that a lot with Ed being Green Nation, Tyler? Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. They'll, they'll talk Twitter. about guys and yeah, and then even guys that step in that have to play. Like let's look, look at Jalen Mills, Eagles starting cornerback. I I don't think he's very good, but he was a seventh round pick. What what more do you expect? Yeah. And people people will come out and grill him, and it's like I mean he's a seventh round pick. <laughs> what do you expect from a guy like that? He's doing yeah, that's what we get with Captain Munnerlin. You know he, he sucks. He's this. He's we drafted him in the seventh round. <laughs> He's I mean, overachieving. He's overachieving because he's still in the NFL. <laughs> Another team gave him millions of dollars to play for them, and we got him back. 
you know, he's been in the league for what, nine years now, something like that. That doesn't happen, you know? So, you know, lay off the guy. So is Kenyon Barnett good? He went to South Carolina too. So by default, he's (laughs) awesome. So, you know, lay Um, off the guy. As far as Barner goes, he was on the roster last year. He, he was mostly inactive on game days, though, behind Ryan Matthews, uh, Darren Sproles, and Smallwood. But he uh, he's a good returner. He returned a punt this past uh, week for, I think, 75 yards or so, set the Eagles up in the red zone, and they scored a touchdown on it. And uh, he's gotten some yards. They ran like a third and 19. It was just like a little uh, sweep play off to the side. He picked up like 18 yards, and they punted, but – he's fast and he's elusive, but again, you said you talked about those fumbling issues. I've always been a fan of Barner as far as Eagles roster goes. Cause I thought he's added that special teams value. And that's something that the Eagles prioritize big time. And think, I think they're number one in special teams DVOA. And they've been for the last couple of years, cause they've been really good. They've gotten a lot of returns. They've gotten a lot of good field position against the Cardinals. I think that, I think Arizona usually started at around their 13 yard line or something like that, because they, they're just really well coached on special teams. They're an outstanding unit there. Do you like the DVOA I, stat? Because Casco Treater is not going to like you citing the DVOA stat. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm interested in it because I most people on Cat Scratch Reader think DVOA is like some kind of STD or something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's and it's mostly because of, of Seahawks fans who use it as like the only metric that means anything like like Cam Newton, for example, you know, he, he could be, you know, win league MVP, carry a team on his back to be 15 and one, blah, blah, blah. Like in 2015, but his DVOA ranked him like 20th in the league. And that's the only thing they used to, you know, discredit him. So Panthers fans hate that metric. Um, But, you know, I'm interested in it. I, I think it's, it's a valuable thing, like it's a valuable tool, but it's not the only one. And I think that it does – it's a piece of the puzzle, but it's not the whole puzzle. And um, anyway, I'm rambling, so why don't you just – why don't you tell us about more about that? Yeah, I, I, I 100% agree with you. That's how I feel about all statistics. Context always needs to be provided. You know, Kean Fahey, I don't necessarily agree with his analysis, and I don't care much for him. But I admire the work he puts in. You better not it, let him hear that. He will block you on Twitter yeah. if he finds out. Well, he already has me blocked, and I'm not sure why. I never said anything <laughs> to him. I think, it, I think it's an association thing with, uh, I guess, the sites I write for. But, you know, again, he puts in a lot of hard work, and, and some of his statistics are really subjective, like interceptable throws. And that's one thing that teams like to point out about Carson Wentz and Cam Newton. But context is always important, you know. I want to go back to the interceptable throw that I charted from Wentz this past game. So it was, uh, if you watch the game, it was the game. It was the play right before he actually threw an interception. He throws it down the sideline, and he was expecting the receiver to break off on a comeback route. The receiver never does. Patrick Peterson breaks off on the route and almost comes down with it. He just didn't get both feet in bounds and ended up dropping it when he hit out of bounds. So you know, context is obviously important. There was it receiver error. I, I believe it was if Wentz was expecting to come back because typically those those sorts of things are on the receivers more than they're on the quarterbacks. If you talk to a lot of different people around the game, more often than not, quarterbacks don't make those mistakes when it comes to assignments. Now, obviously, they'll make some bad decisions, but as far as that goes, they typically don't, I guess, deserve the, the blame for a lot of that. But as far as DVOA goes, again, it's 
part of the puzzle. It, it's probably one of the better stats out there, but again, every stat needs context, and you can't rely on one stat. I just like. I think, How do you feel about completion percentage? <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I feel like I've been. Uh, I actually did an article on this for Cat Scratch Reader. I think a lot of I don't the read articles on Cat Scratch Reader. <laughs> I, I publish and I close the browser. I thought we were going to video. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, looking at it, it's a completion percentage is a little bit bloated. Like, a, look at a guy like Alex Smith, or even look at Matt Stafford. If if they're in these offenses that you, you kind of you're checking down a lot, but Sam Bradford, Sam Bradford like set the record for completion percentage. But we had a joke in Philadelphia. You'll see it a lot. Hashtag short of the sticks. <laughs> he never threw further than the sticks, and he'd always just check down. And that's you can get completion percentage like that. Meanwhile, you look at a guy like Cam Newton, and uh, you know when he had Chudzinski as his offensive coordinator, Chud like led the league in uh, average depth or you no know, percentage of throws that went over 15 yards. And then he gets a guy like Shula, and that's the same thing there. So. Completion percentage is tied again. It needs context. What offense are you running? What are you asking of your quarterback? I said it. I said it in the comment today. It's it's basically as useful as field goal percentage in basketball. Like you can only use it to compare people in similar situations. Like if you just look at field goal percentage as a measure of shooting accuracy in in, in basketball, you'd say DeAndre Jordan is a significantly better shooter than like Steph Curry and Kevin Durant. But all he does. Well, yeah, that's because he dunks all the yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. But he every every shot attempt is a very is a very easy shot attempt, as opposed to a guard. It takes like six a game, if that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like, it's a like he's a good comparison to other players that play that like Dwight Howard, Cody Zeller, uh, type of players, and then you have to compare like so it's like that with quarterbacks. Like if you're really good for completion percentage, you have to compare Cam with other quarterbacks who throw the ball down the field as much as he does, which I don't think really anybody does. All this I is a Panthers podcast, but I love the fact that you put Cody Zeller and DeAndre Jordan in the same sentence. That, <laughs> they play; that they're is so funny. they're pretty much all together, they're the same player. Man. <laughs> yeah, I, the, the only players that popped in my head were the Hornets players because I haven't seen it because basketball hasn't started yet. So I haven't. Um, yeah, Clint Capella. How about that one? I think one thing that you could throw in that completion percentage argument also goes the quality of receiver that you have. Like, oh, definitely. Look at Ted Ginn, for example. He was a good field stretcher, and he could win deep, but how many drops did you guys see from that guy deep? Well, then, and then Ginn, and then uh, as, as well as he's playing this year, Devin Funches before this year, very rarely could catch a ball if there was a defender close to him. It wouldn't necessarily yeah, be like a drop, but if there was any like contact as he got hit, or if like a defender kind of bumped him off his route, it just kind of it, that was basically it. Plays over, no catch, incomplete pass. Cam Newton sucks. Yeah, and like a lot of people look at it like that, so that's it's well, unfortunate. It's only Cam, and that's the <laughs> that's the one thing that bothers me is the inconsistency. If you take like Cam throws a perfectly thrown ball to, to Ted Ginn Jr. and he drops it, that's Cam's fault. If you know, Andrew Luck, Ben Roethlisberger, Carson Wentz, Carson Tom Wentz Brady. Touched that pass um, to Drew Brees, anybody, perfect pass. Why does he have such a crappy receiver? And, you know, why can't we be consistent with that? Why can't Cam get that same reaction where he threw a good pass, but the receiver dropped it? Why is it always Cam's fault, but it's not, you know, it wouldn't be Carson Wentz's fault. It wouldn't be Andrew Luck's fault. Confirmation bias. Yeah, it's exactly what it is. You, you talk about confirmation bias. Like again, Carson Palmer. You you won't. I'll, I want you guys to guess how many interceptable throws he threw this past weekend. Seven. Carson Palmer. I yeah, would Palmer say Palmer. twelve. 
He actually threw four, but you're not going to hear about that. You're just going to hear about the ones that went through. Carson Palmer threw four that were right in the defensive back's hands. Like, a, like there were a couple times where he tried to throw a comeback, and the cornerback just absolutely beat him because it was to the opposite hash mark outside the numbers, and the cornerback just came back, had it, and dropped it. But we don't hear about that. We just hear about Wentz's interceptable passes. Same thing with Cam Newton. Oh, we're going to look at his completion percentage. That's how it is. Everyone has their confirmation biases, whether it be through draft Twitter or they just don't like Cam because they haven't taken the time to study his game or actually watch him and understand the intricacies of what the offense requires of him. You know what? The reason that draft Twitter hates Cam is twofold. One, draft Twitter is mostly people who don't know what the hell they're talking about. (laughs) And two, they can't admit that they were wrong. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. I really can't. We need to. Uh, I, I feel like we should give you uh, like two minutes to to bash draft Twitter and their quarterback scouting for the 2017 or for the 2018 draft. You really want me to do that? Because I will. I love it. <laughs> I want to hear. I want to hear Tyler say because we get to hear it all the time in our chat, and I would love to hear him say it for everybody else to hear. I. I mean. It's really hard to kind of evaluate quarterbacks. Like, even myself. Like, I was wrong on Jared Goff. I, I didn't think he looked very good. But I, I can't really bash what they're saying about these quarterbacks. Cause my rule is I don't like to comment on players unless I've watched the tape myself. Mm-hmm. So I don't Oh, that's like no it. fun. <laughs> <laughs> it allows me to come with the most informed and educated opinion on these players. Well, that's, so if that's I have different. It, yeah. Well, here's so, a question about Jared Goff, since you mentioned him by name. Is Jared Goff really good, and what we're seeing now is the true Jared Goff, and Jeff Fisher was holding him back, or are we only seeing this because Sean McVay is his coach, and literally a anybody who can throw a football could have the same success? Like a cactus could be just as good as Jared Goff is in Sean McVay's offense. Like, do you think it's the offensive system, like um, Tom Brady, or do you think that, that Jared Goff really is that good and it's just that he got stuck with Jeff Fisher? I, I think it's funny that you bring up Tom Brady because I had the same exact opinion that you alluded to right there. Now, I think Brady grew out of being a system quarterback. And for Goff, I, I do too. Yeah, to be yeah. fair, he's he's not a system quarterback anymore. He's Tom Brady would be good on any team, no matter where you put him, even though he's 40, what, 41 years old, 40, 41, something 64. like that. But, yeah, he might as well be 64. But, you know, Tom Brady got hurt back in, what was it, 2011, 2010, something like that. And they went 11 and 8. 8, okay. They went 11 and 5 with Matt Castle. And what has Matt Castle done since then? He's gotten a nice contract several times, and he's done nothing. So it's I don't know, it's man. not Tom. Did you see it's, him on Sunday against Miami? <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. Walt couldn't even beat Jay Cutler in Miami. <laughs> yeah, um, but as far as golf, I, there was obviously potential because it, obviously there wasn't just a Rams saw him as like a number one overall pick. He he has good traits and good accuracy. I, I think he's more of a uh, he's a precision passer. I kind of relate that to what Sam Bradford is and and guys like that. Like Carson Wentz isn't much more of a precision passer. I think Cam can be a precision passer, but you you kind of get the groups that I'm going through. Tom Brady's a precision passer. Peyton Manning was more of a precision passer. You know, uh, Aaron Rodgers can be a precision passer. But I think that golf is a little bit more of a precise passer, and they, they scheme really well to get wide receivers open. 
And there, there are some offenses that just don't do that. You talked about Jeff Fisher's is one. Uh, Mike Malarkey out in Tennessee, I, I think that's who their head coach is. His offense does Mariota no favors as far as receivers go. It doesn't scheme them open very well. But I think right now he's a product of what McVay is doing. And it's really helping the entire offense as a whole. you got to add in that they've added some really good skill position players there. They added Sammy Watkins. That Cooper Cup does look kind of okay, even though I was skeptical of him coming out. So, and Todd Gurley's seen a reemergence because they're not have he doesn't have to worry about running into run blitzes all the time. So that's that's basically my thought on him for 2018. Is Josh Allen going to be good? <laughs> I have I haven't watched Josh Allen, but everything that I've seen and those statistics <laughs> they don't they don't look very good. Now again, I can't comment too much on him. One quarterback I have seen that uh, I'm really not sure how he's not quarterback one is Lamar Jackson. So I think he just oh, has- boy, let's talk about why Lamar Jackson is not quarterback one, because I know why. Uh, you can't read a defense. <laughs> well, let's go. You can't read a defense. He's a run-first quarterback. Spread, they should convert him to running back or wide receiver. He's played in the spread. He doesn't know how to make reads. He's playing in the spread. Yeah, <laughs> same old shit, different story, you know, different quarterback. I just, I think, I, like, with Josh Allen, I haven't watched him, like, you know, for an entire game. But I see the clips people share, and I see the numbers, and it's like if you're going to be a legit quarterback, you have to look, you have to do something against a, a meaningful opponent. Like he's like thrown like five times as many interceptions as touchdowns, and completing like forty percent of his passes against real football teams. Yeah, that and like a lot of the clips I've seen, he's running out of clean pockets, and yeah. you're not doing your offense yeah. favors like that. You're just scrambling around the field and basically doing what Johnny Manziel used to do at Texas A&M. It was, well, I just remember the yeah. Iowa game. One of the clips I saw, it was like they he had a clean pocket, and it was like a comeback route, and for absolutely no reason at all, he just ran two steps backwards and threw it off his back foot, and almost got it picked off. And there's no and like everybody's held up and everybody's blocked, no pressure. And he just, just for some reason, just ran backwards to throw it. Yeah, I said this in the in our Slack chat earlier today. Actually, I was talking to to Billy Marshall. Um, Josh Allen is the embodiment of what draft Twitter thought Cam Newton was. Like that's a very good comparison. That's what he is. You know, draft Twitter thought Cam Newton was, you know, what they thought. That's what Josh Allen actually is on the field. And he's going to go number one overall or number two overall because he's what, 6'5, six, 6'6? Six, six, he's a prototypical like build. That. He's a prototypical build like we've talked about before. He's tall and he's white. And if you're those two things, you're a number one quarterback in an NFL draft. And it's ridiculous that that is still the standard despite seeing guys like. Brock Osweiler completely fail at being an NFL quarterback. All all Brock Osweiler is is a tall white dude who can throw a football. That's all he is. And, saying he can throw is kind of generous, don't you think? And saying he can throw is kind of generous. He can, he, can hold a, he can hold a football. He can hold a football and kind of sort of throw it. And, you know, Josh Allen is exactly the same way. And whoever drafts him first overall, you know, the New York Giants <laughs> – are really going to regret it. I, I just love, like, I see mock drafts where he's supposed to go, like, where they have him going to Jacksonville, and it's like, Jacksonville's going to, like, finally give up on Blake Bortles and just redraft Blake Bortles. Why would, yeah, why would Jacksonville draft Blaine Gabbert for the third time? 
it, it just it doesn't make any sense. It's exactly that's it. a good comparison. Bortles and Allen are both like really athletic quarterbacks, but yeah, you can use the term quarterback lightly from what I've yeah. seen of Allen and, and also Bortles. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a whole nother can of worms to open up the draft Twitter and the quarterback talk is nobody truly knows how to evaluate quarterbacks because you can look at the process and the process might not be good, but the results can end up well. And it's happened for a lot of different quarterbacks. It's worked out well. You look at guys like Flacco, the process is hardly ever good for him, but the results turn out well. So we haven't for a while, but. They used to. Yeah, they they were really good that one year in the Super Bowl. So and he got paid for it. Tyler, who's gonna win tomorrow tonight? Who's gonna win tonight? Uh, <laughs> I, I am actually gonna go with the Eagles, and my reasoning is because I think the defensive line is gonna give some fits. I, I think if the Panthers do win, this will be a win that Cam Newton has earned. I'll say this though: there's a lot of the Eagles fan base that thinks this is an NFC Championship matchup. I don't think that from the Eagles standpoint. I could see the Panthers getting back there, but not the Eagles. I mean, I'm not going to go that far with the Eagles yet because they haven't even been to the playoffs yet under this regime. Meanwhile, the Panthers, they've been there. They've won. They've gotten to the highest level. They they were a few plays away from winning a Super Bowl. So they know how to, how to handle these situations. They've been in the playoffs. They're experienced. They're loaded with veterans. So it, it, when people talk about a potential NFC Championship matchup, I'm like, uh, pump the brakes from the Eagles standpoint. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far like you, but I do think that this game is going to be important in terms of who gets a home game and possibly who gets a bye in the playoffs. Like um, Green Bay, I believe, is going to be the the top seed in the NFC. You know, I, I think they pretty much are the class of the NFC. Uh, but I, I do think that that Philadelphia and and Carolina are possibly fighting for either a, a wild card spot or a home game, you know, against one or the other. I, I don't I don't think this is the NFC championship game, but I do think it's a possible first round of the playoffs game. I'll say this. I, I hope it is an NFC championship game and I hope it's in Charlotte just so I can go to it. Because <laughs> I'm going to the one tomorrow night and Charlotte's only a two and a half hour drive away from me. And I, I'm contemplating going to the one in twenty fifteen just because tickets were Relatively cheap for the sporting event. Like they were like two fifty a piece, but there was a big snowstorm that weekend that trapped uh, trapped us in. So, hey, I hope it, I hope it isn't Charlotte. I hope it's between the Eagles and the Panthers, just so I can get down there. Hopefully, it ends the same way the last one did too. Ah uh, no, <laughs> you, you were a part of that heartbreak. You remember it well too. Yeah, I was an Eagles fan at that time, and I yeah. <laughs> I think the Panthers are going to win. Junior. I think the Panthers are going to win too. What about I think score the Eagles predictions? are going to win. <laughs> what was that? What about score predictions? I think it's going to be 21-20 Panthers. I think Carolina is going to be leading 21-3 to <laughs> in the fourth. <laughs> and Philadelphia is going to come back and make it a game. And we're going to be um, basically biting our fingernails off and shitting bricks in the last five minutes of the game like we've done every week for the last – uh, what, 22 weeks or so? Um, no, 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 yeah. no, it's more than that. Because it goes back to 2000. We did it in 2015, too. Yeah, that's true. I mean, we've been doing this for a while, so, you know, people are making fun of me on Twitter about it, but, you know, people also told me that San Francisco would score more than three points, and we see how that worked oh, yeah, out. Well, let me, let me ask you a question about actually 2015. 
Okay, so uh, um, specifically that Giants game, you guys have pretty much had the entire, like, the NFC wrapped up, your top seed and all that. What were your thought? What was your thought process when Odell Beckham Jr. scored that touchdown you had to go down the field? What, was it, like, nerves at that point? Because, uh, hey, I was just curious because, I mean, at that point you have everything kind of sealed up with your playoff positioning and all that. Uh, yeah, I was nervous because we were still undefeated at the time, you know, and we were trying to to be undefeated. But we should have lost that game because Odell Beckham dropped at least one easy touchdown. Like, he beat Josh Norman like a drum. Panthers fans conveniently forget about that. Um, but but Beckham dropped a couple of touchdowns in that game, and we should have lost. Yeah, he, he was wide open, like 10 yards of separation behind Josh Norman. Dropped it. But I think there's also, along with the, the nerves of, you know, you know blowing you undefeated season, just like the annoyance, because that – that wasn't the first time that happened that season either. Like it was, no. it had been a recurring. It was it had already. There was that Green Bay game too. Oh, the Green Bay we, and the uh, the Colts game too on Monday. We night. we won like five games like that that we probably should have lost. Let me. And, I'm gonna pull the schedule and look at like which games we we almost blew leads in, which was probably. I don't know. It was overtime. Yeah, I know it was Green Bay and I know it was Indianapolis and we almost blew it against the Giants. Uh, in the playoffs, we almost blew it against Seattle, and then we came back and beat the brakes off the Cardinals. Um, and then, well, that's because we broke Carson for Palmer. some reason. They decided not to have a Super Bowl that year, but um, we uh, we almost lost to the Saints uh, with Luke McCown at quarterback. Oh God, yeah, that was when Josh Norman saved us with an interception in the end zone. Yeah, we were up twenty-seven sixteen, and then they drove down the field. 10 plays, 80 yards in four and a half minutes. And then they got the ball back and got in a position to win it right after that. They did not win it. Um, the Colts, we were up 23 to six to start the fourth or uh, with 10 minutes left in the game. Uh, the Packers, this is, this is, you know, electric podcast. Yeah, I feel like they they were up like twenty four to seven or something like Against that. At Green Bay. Yeah, we we like yeah. blew the doors off of Green Bay. It was twenty seven or twenty seven to seven at halftime against Green Bay. Yeah. And then we, I, I just had this peculiar memory where I remember a lot of scores and different games and key events. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's football guy. Um, <laughs> and then the Saints, we we almost lost to the Saints in New Orleans too, and that was kind of the other way around. We had to actually score the game winner at the end of that game. But yeah, so it was, it was just a, it was just a, it's a thing we do. We just we're the cardiac cats for a reason. Or they, that was the one where Dominic Hickson scored the game winner, wasn't no, it? No, that was like that, that was, was the only pass he caught. That was twenty thirteen. That was the other. That was twenty thirteen. Yeah, that was okay. the other odd year that we were good. Yeah, so we we have so many odd years that we're good, and so many comeback wins and nail biters at the end. It's just. So Tyler, have you are you new to following the Panthers? Like since you started writing for CSI. I, I follow them uh, lightly because, I mean, the first my first NFL game was actually that 2015 Sunday night game uh, where the Eagles were down there. That's the first one I actually got to go to. So I, I've kind of followed them a little bit just because I've always knew I'd end up in the Charlotte area like covering me. I'm not down there yet, but uh, that's where I feel like my career is going to end up being. So gotcha. I, I've kind of kept an eye on them. <laughs> yeah, so it will, then you'll learn that odd years are good years. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I've sort of noticed that, and 
Like even in 2014, it was that was the we six good. nine and one year wasn't we it? We were seven eight and one. Seven eight. And people, seven eight and one. People okay. like when Dave Gettleman got fired, that got brought up a lot. Like he took us to the playoffs three straight years. We won three straight division championships. It's like we were good two of those three years. That's being really disingenuous to say that we had three straight successful seasons. Especially when you think yeah, and then, we also and then won a playoff game. That Cardinals playoff. Yeah, the counter argument to that, to John's statement, is, well, we won a playoff game. We beat Ryan Lindley. Ryan <laughs> Lindley? Yeah, I mean. Everything fell into place for us that year to make the playoffs as a bad team and win a playoff game as a bad team. And even then, they, they played Seattle tough. Uh, for a little bit. They were in that divisional, yeah. But it was like, it was what you'd expect if an average to bad team played a good team, like. Yeah, we hung around for a little bit, but then ultimately we just made so many mistakes and the Seahawks beat us by like two or three scores. It was like if you if you go by what people like how people reflect on that, you would think we just like just couldn't quite like muster up a final drive to win. Yeah. Like we, we like we missed a game winning field goal in overtime. Yeah, or some we, crap. we was like that game was over early, well before like the final whistle. Yeah. That Cam Chancellor pick six wasn't there and then he jumped over the line a couple times and blocked field goals. God, I'm so glad I got rid of that rule. <laughs> it's the most annoying thing. We're like the only team that can't do it or <clears throat> counter against it. Oh man. I think we've been I think it's about time to wrap this up. It's been a while. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, we've been talking for an hour and a half. Good <laughs> lord. <laughs> oh, you asshole. Um, Brian taking right, a nap so. over there. Been silenced for a while. <laughs> I was just chilling. I was letting you guys go. Um, all right. So to get the actual, I know we uh, we had our little predictions here and there. Let's get the final score predictions of Thursday's game. Um, I'll start with you, Tyler. What's your final score prediction along with winner of the game? I'm going to go Eagles 20-16. to 16. I think that these defenses are both really good, so they'll they'll kind of keep teams out of the end zone. So I think that it's going to be kind of a game of field goals and a couple touchdowns, but I wouldn't be too reliant on seeing a lot. All right, John, what's your what's your uh, Panthers twenty three, Eagles twenty. That's good. Uh, I said it a few minutes ago. I guess you were asleep. Um, <laughs> I heard it. I'm going to let you say it again. Panthers 21, Eagles 20. And my prediction would be Eagles 24, Panthers 16. Yeah. Traitor. Yeah, go against the Panthers. <laughs> well, we had – I felt like the, the – I think Cam Newton's getting it murdered, to be honest, by this front seven. So. Well, I feel like we thought that against the Lions, too, though. Yeah, but they didn't have Fletcher Cox along with, like, well, the Eagles might not have Fletcher Cox either. He's a game-time decision. Of course they didn't. Brand, Brandon Graham's the biggest thing to me that not a lot of people are talking about. He was an all-pro last year. He's a really good defensive end that, you know, facing against Daryl Williams or Ryan Khalil. I mean, not Ryan Khalil, but Matt Khalil. Yeah, I think that front seven's going to beat Cam Newton up. But anyway, so that was our coverage of the – Panthers-Eagles game coming up on Thursday Night Football. Thank you, Tyler, for coming to join us. Anytime. Uh, Tyler writes for the Bleeding Green Nation website for the Eagles, along with the Cat Scratch Reader website, which we're certainly disappointed that he was predicting against the Panthers tonight. But I, I joined up on... You can't so. say that. You're predicting against the Panthers, too. 
Yep. But thank you for coming on, and uh, we will catch you all later. And hopefully the next time we talk, we're talking about a Panthers win instead of a Panthers loss. So thanks for joining us, guys. See you next week. Enjoy the game tonight. Later. Should be fun.
there's a time and a place for black and white. Like when you're learning to play piano, or when you want a big two-toned cookie, or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white. So go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing. From banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 18 Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. Hi, I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Carreyou, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.